You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Welcome to this very special Code Red podcast brought to you by Secure America Now. My name is Alan Roth. I am president of Secure America Now. We have with us today three patriots. These are people who, during the pandemic, while the rest of us have had a time out, these folks actually don't have any time out. They protect us by protecting our borders. We will have a conversation with them, and I will introduce them very quickly, and they will then take it away in the sense of giving us some more background of what is it that they do on a daily basis. We have Patricia Kramer, John Monahan, and Vincent Salgado. So Patricia, let's start with you. Where are you and what do you do professionally? Um, well, first, Alan, I just wanted to thank you for having us on the show. Um, I live in Arizona. I live in Green Valley, Arizona, which is about 40 miles from Nogales. Um, I work at the Nogales Port of Entry. I um, have been a CVP officer for 15 years, and uh, I've been doing uh, uh, union for four years. So I represent all the U.S. Customs officers, officers and agriculture specialists in Arizona. And just, I just want so that people who don't know the language, you work for the United States Customs and Border Protection, which is part of the Department of Homeland Security. Is that correct? Correct, Alan. Uh, We work at the ports of entry. So anytime you're going in and out of the United States, we're the people that you, um, you know, show your passport to, um, that we check, you know, uh, if you have anything to declare, you know, we check that, uh, we deal with trade. And um, to differentiate ourselves from Border Patrol, we're at the ports of entry and Border Patrol secures in between the ports of entry. Okay, thank you. Vincent, can you describe your professional activities and your location? Sure. So good morning, Alan. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be on your show as well. Uh, Currently uh, in between two ports of entry, so I'm the chapter president for NTU Chapter 123, representing CBP employees out of Calexico, well, Imperial Valley as a whole, but out of Calexico ports of entry and the uh, Andrade port of entry. I'm actually in between ports uh, parked on the side of the road right now as I speak to you guys. But um, as as you are aware, and as Ms. Ms. Kramer has also mentioned as well, uh, we're living through this pandemic uh, at the face of it. Uh, working the front lines, having, as you mentioned, having to go to work rather than stay home and, and self-isolate. And we're seeing this at a, at a, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. There, there is no self-isolation for the front line. There's no way the front line employees uh, at the ports of entry or at a medical facility can perform their functions at a home. So that's why we've got to maintain our front line positions and go to work. Well, I'm going to get a little, I'm going to ask you a few questions about how the pandemic, in fact, has changed what you do. And we have, a, we have some questions from viewers, which also address that particular 
part of your experience of your daily experiences. John, can you also share with us your location and what is it that you do? Well, good morning to everyone. Good morning to you, Alan. Thank you for letting us join. Uh, my name is John Monahan. I've been with Customs and Border Protection for just about 18 years. And I've been the chapter president for chapter 143 in El Paso for about six years. Uh, I, I represent the entire Southwest border from Columbus, New Mexico to Presidio, Texas. Um, just as Pat and Vincent said, what we do every day is we, we provide protection for the country at the front door, at the front line on the border. We screen everyone coming in and out of the United States. So with the pandemic dominating all our lives, all the media, how has your job changed because of the pandemic? Has it changed? And also, do you do anything special in terms of screening when people are coming into the country? Do you ask them questions? How does that work? Patricia, do you want to start the ball rolling? Sure. Um, Ellen, our, our, our jobs have, 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 have changed. And, you know, we had a challenging job to begin with. Um, and, you know, we're more than happy to do it. That's the oath that we took. Um, right now, you know, um, there is no screening of people coming in. And unlike the northern border and the airports the traffic on the on the southern border has not ceased you know the one thing that they were able to change um and this is with us me john vincent and the rest of the chapter presidents fighting is getting the agency to stop having um just a non-essential travel uh with mexican uh nationals coming in because they were allowing that at the beginning well after a fight they put a stop to it but now you have a lot of U.S. citizens and LPRs, which is green card holders, um, coming in and out of the country. If you guys were to come to the south, um, to the southern border, you would never think there was a pandemic going on. You wouldn't think. And it's people going to Mexico to get haircuts, food, uh, vet appointments, um, um, nails, nail appointments. Um, so it's made our job a lot more challenging because, you know, uh, we understand that we took an oath to protect our country and we will continue to do so. But um, our own agency isn't doing enough to protect um, the, the front line, the officers at the ports of entry um, in order for us to keep um, securing our country. Vincent, if you were in Washington, D.C., and you can make policy, and you can make changes, at, given, again, the pandemic, but also more generally, what changes or what powers could be bestowed upon you that, in, as a frontline patriot protecting our borders, what is it that you would like to see the government do? In answering that question, I am in, in, and acting in that role, as you explained, uh, stricter rules or regulations uh, for those, uh, for the international crossings, uh, as Ms. Kramer was also mentioning, the restrictions not only just coming into the United States, but stopping that flow going outside of the United States 
which is uh, part of the uh, problem for the pandemic, if you think about it. The United States citizens, the legal residents leaving the United States, going to a foreign country, they're going to come back to the, from that foreign country and possibly have been exposed to, uh, to COVID-19 out, out in, uh, you know, in, our, in our case, Mexico, and then bringing that back. So stricter regulations and rules uh, applied across the board for all ports of entry, both northern, southern, airports, land, uh, seaports as well. I would also uh, uh, see what I could do to apply stricter or, or better policies and, and protections for the frontline employees that are working at this, uh, with this pandemic and having to see it face to face. John, do you want to take a crack at this particular question as to what you would like to see the government do that would make you more effective on the front lines? Yes, sir, I'll take a crack at it. Uh, my personal belief, this is a very personal opinion, okay? But my very mm -hmm. personal belief is that we need to shut down the border. Not for commercial goods, but for pedestrian use. Uh, there, there is no need for any U.S. citizen or, or legal permanent resident to be living in Mexico like they are. Uh, if they want to, if they want to hole up there for a couple of months or whatever, that's fine. But if we don't shut down the border, we're never going to stop this because the yep. people are going back and forth. And what yeah. do we do? Affect our officers. Our officers go out and affect the rest of the economy, and it just keeps going. Yeah, and I, I second what. John is saying, Alan, um, you know, under a national emergency, we can stop people exiting the country um, for non-essential travel. And uh, for some reason, it hasn't been done. And we can stop a lot of, of people from going into Mexico, because if you guys see what's going on in Mexico, their cases are blowing up with the COVID-19. What do you mean by that? Well, just to give you an example, uh, one of my ports is in San Luis, Arizona, uh, which is by Yuma. And they border a town uh, called San Luis, Rio Colorado. Their cases have gotten so bad, Alan, that they had to close their general hospital last week because they're all, they're, most of their nurses and doctors were infected with the COVID-19, right? They're almost, um, I, it's a small town. Uh, they've jumped from i mean every every day it's like 10 new cases um and the officers there are being exposed to all of this they still have a three-hour wait at this port um you know for people uh coming in and you know like vincent said there's no way of knowing where they've been or if they were exposed to this but you know mexico obviously we can't trust what they're saying and the numbers that they're giving Whatever numbers you're giving, um, you should probably, like, double them. Um, and, you know, like John said, uh, we do. We need to close the border and only have, you know, trade coming in. And the workers, you know, that work are part of the trade, are part of the economy, allow them in. But 90-some percent of these travelers right now is non-essential. You know, they go and to go to family gatherings to see family in Mexico and, the agency, um, DHS, is allowing this to happen. And like John said, we're never going to heal from this with, with all this reckless travel. I think that you've already answered this question, but it, it does come from one of our listeners. Are you stopping people with the virus? Um, I know that recently there was uh, one, there was a... Um, someone that came through that had it 
And so they were U.S. citizens, so we can't deny them entry. Um, but, you know, that was kind of rare to even know that that person had it. You know, I'm, I think that we're coming across a lot of people that have it. We just don't know it. You know? How did you know that person had it? Well, um, you know, there's some operational stuff that, you know, of course, we can't speak about. But they, I guess she had crossed before and, um, you know, I think she stated it. But um, there's certain procedures that we take in order to identify people when, you know, they're coming in and out um, on certain things. And so, you know, um, she she came through and she had it and, um, you know, the officers decontaminated the area. But, you know, the officer that came in contact with her, you would think that, you know, she would um, he or she would, you know, be quarantined for 14 days. And I mean, at this point, you know, honestly, the the agency is is treating us like cannon fodder that, you know, it's like we're expendable and uh, we're not, Alan. I mean, you, you we just can't be replaced that easily. Me, John and Vincent has taken us years to be the trained officers that we are. Um, so, it, it you know, we're not screening people. We're not taking their temperature. Um, I don't even, we're not even asking them if they, if they think they have it. I mean, it's just business as usual on, on the Southern border. Vincent, were you given any special training because of the coronavirus, things that you should do, how to protect yourself? Uh, I know that we're receiving a great deal of information. Just turn on the television set. But were you given as a frontline worker and as Patricia, what she's saying to me, it's completely unconscionable that you folks are put in harm's way by doing your job and, uh, and that we don't do everything that we possibly can to defend you. But were you given any briefings or training on in this unique situation of how to do your job? So briefings were, uh, were provided to all employees equally. Uh, and uh, obviously as a, as a union uh, leader here, we advocate for that, that type of messaging to consistently go out and not just once, not twice, but daily if possible, just as a daily reminder to the employees. And, and obviously when this pandemic first hit home, uh, I mean, employees were, were kind of like, yeah, this is going to go away because we had never seen anything like this. I've, in my 13 plus years of working at the port of entry, uh, I've never, I've never seen anything where we, we have had to operate in such a, such a manner. So yes, as, as a chapter leader, we're constantly communicating with, with our managers to make sure that those briefings are constantly provided. Uh, those briefings that are provided are mostly based uh, on the CDC guidelines available online. Um, and we're constantly trying to push management to actually provide more for the officers and the employees as a whole to have them understand what's going on, number one, what they can do to protect themselves and others and make sure they're not taking something home to their families. John, one of our viewers, Andrew, asked the question, what role does the military and National Guard play in your job? At our port, we do have, I don't know the number exactly of National Guard members assigned to us, but to be honest, because of the uh, authorities, they don't have our authorities to search or seize or anything. 
because they're not allowed to perform inspectional duties. What they normally do is they help us in the cargo environment to do inspections of the, the cargo and, and things like that. But they're not they're not allowed to do our job per se. Do you looking at the big picture? Candidate Trump in twenty sixteen was the first candidate in many, many years to run on a secure our border platform. Have you seen changes both in attitude and practically on how we as the United States of America, in this case, the Trump administration, actually deal is dealing with securing our borders? Has it been a is it better? Is it worse? Is nothing happening? Uh, Vincent, do you want to start? Sure. Um, is it different? Was your first part of your uh, one of your uh, statements you just mentioned? Is it different? Yes, there is. It is different. I, I think there still needs to be a fine balance to find, and it needs to be found uh, to in, be able to allow the officers on the front line to be able to enforce the laws, regulations uh, mm-hmm. uh, authorized under the law for them. Um, is enough being done? Can you probably. explain that? Can you explain? You're not permitted to enforce the law. No, 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 no. no I mean, I think what I what I'm what I mean by that is I think there could be more regular uh, more policies in place that would allow the officers to enforce different types of those laws. Not that it's not okay. being enforced. So make sure right. I clarify that. Right. Okay. Patricia, do you want to um, address? the overall situation as far as the Trump administration is concerned and uh, protecting the borders? Oh, I would love to, Alan. Um, This is where you get me fired up. But um, (laughs) You seem so calm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I think that, you know, um, a lot of, and of course not everybody, but I think most of us, when um, Mr. Uh, Trump decided to run for president, we were excited uh, because for the first time there was someone that um, ran on, on, on this ticket about securing our borders. And as, as a um, officer, I could tell you, um, Ellen, that for the longest time I wanted, you know, uh, I wanted a, like someone that's going to make changes because, you know, it's it's very much needed. You know, in our job, there's so many immigration laws and so many other policies that I think um, handicap um, not only just us, but the security of our country. You know, a lot of the um, um, laws that the president has tried to um, um, implement, I always think it's funny that people say, oh, he's creating these laws that, you know, and it's, it's just against the immigrant most of the laws the president has tried to implement have actually existed for years, Alan. For years they've existed. It's just that we haven't been allowed to apply them, you know. So um, also, you know, there are certain things that, and just to give you an example, when he tried to say that he'd like to change the fact that if you're born here, um, you're automatically a citizen. Alan, you have no idea how much that would help the immigration crisis, the immigration issues that we have in this country, that alone really, really makes our, har- our job so hard. 
you know, because you're, 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 you have a lot of people coming in, you know, having their babies here. And um, that puts a huge strain on our immigration system, on the security of our country. So I applaud the president that he's really the only one that I've ever seen try to make a difference. But, you know, all these federal judges blocking, you know, what he wants to do has been so frustrating. So um, we've, we've seen little change, but I feel that it's either because the agency doesn't mirror what the president wants for our country. Um, and you have all these federal judges and some lawmakers that block these very important changes that you have no idea how much they would help, you know, um, our immigration issue, because it is very broken, Alan, very broken. And it's frustrating to see it on the front line. I can imagine. Uh, John, what is your take on this? Has there been a change of attitude? And more so, has there been a change in how you're able to do your job? Well, I think we've seen some good and some bad. Um, when he first took over and we got that influx, that influx was a was a something that I've never ever seen before. I don't blame it on him. They were trying to come in while he was brand new, but luckily he he uh, he changed things to where they have to wait down in Mexico before they come back to, to go to the immigration judges. I do feel though that at work we are allowed to uh, enforce the laws a little bit more than we used to be able to. Under the previous administration, our hands were tied on 90% of, of what we did. So there's been an improvement. We at Secure America Now are extremely supportive of giving you the tools for you to do your job as effectively as you possibly can. And we will continue to push in that direction. One of the things that, of course, received tremendous amount of news is, and something that we supported, was the building of a security wall along the border. Do you have any comments on that, John, uh, about the wall, whether it is happening or what the situation is with the wall? Well, in my neck of the woods, we've, all, we've always had a wall. Uh, when they when they first constructed the the border wall, we we've always had it. Although towards our west in in New Mexico, there there was there wasn't. But I have seen some a lot of construction out there, and I don't see what the big deal is of of about a, a wall anyway. Every country has a border, so I don't I don't know why they make ours such a big deal. Vincent, yeah, well, I was going to actually uh, echo what John mentioned right now. Uh, we've always had a wall. We call it a fence at our work line, but uh, it, a wall has always been there. Uh, in the past uh, year, maybe two years now, we've seen that wall in some areas get improved in the sense of becoming taller. About by things they added an additional ten feet to it. Um, but it's mixed emotions when it comes to that that fence or that wall, um, because there's other mechanisms that the uh, the illicit the, uh, the the illicit people are are using to. Uh, come across the border, and it's not just through a wall or a fence. 
it's obviously you can go over it, you can go under it, but it's also it's through the ports of entry, and this is where uh, we we look for additional staffing to take uh, to take place, and and this is within CDP as a whole. And looking at the OFO side of the house, is, which is Office of Field Operations, but also the Border Patrol side as well, because that's where your front line is securing the nation, or you know, from the northern side, the southern sides as well. And you can have a wall, but you need you still need bodies to man that wall, man the ports of entry. Patricia, do you would you like to comment on the wall? Um, yes, Ellen. I think that you know it's not the end all solution, but I think it's part of the solution. You know, um, to me, to be honest, I think that you know one of the best ways, like John said, may, many countries have walls you know and to me if if it would have been up to me I, for me it would have been a very high cement wall um because um you know the ones that like the nogales for example um there's videos out there where you see how people scale them and they scale them like nothing um and so i think that it's part of a solution but you know i think it is in, important and i think we should have it at the southern border and the northern border because I'm telling you, Alan, if you ask the Border Patrol agents, um, even what we see through the ports, we see some scary stuff coming through, some scary people coming through. And, um, you know, people think it's not, oh, it's, it's, it's not going to work or it's, it's going to be useless. I wish that the country, the people that say that would take a trip down here and see what what the kind of people that we we catch and we find that it's it's not your typical you know poor little migrant like some of these are ms-13s um criminals you know people that are actually wanted here in the u.s um you know so it's it's i wish the agency did a better job um in showing people the examples of of what we're catching and the criminals we're catching. So I think the wall is, is, is part of the solution for sure. This leads, I think, very well into a question from Mike H. He, he says, your jobs look so stressful. How do you deal with it? Thank you for protecting our borders. And by the way, that question or that statement is really reflects, uh, I mentioned we have over 4 million members of our organization, but that really reflects their sentiment, my sentiment. How do you deal with this type of stress on a daily basis? Vincent, you want to take it? Oh, I'm sorry. So, I'm Patricia, you're next. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, Alan, uh, in answering that question, how do how do we deal with the the, the stressful situation? Um, I mean, we we as as chapter leaders, we communicate with one another, and we kind of de-stress by just talking about our situations with one another, and that that's one that's one of the starting points right there. But one of the the main factors is trying to leave that stress at work. So, the stressful situations happen at work. If we're bringing that home, we're we're stressing our family our family out, and they don't need that. They don't need to see that. So it's kind of it's kind of about stepping back. You know, obviously communicating with our our chapter leaders that we do talk about on a daily basis now, um, but also making sure that we step back and just maintain that that that, that calmness and to re, to keep that stress 
at the work site and rather than keep it at home and try to deal with whatever stressful matters we have. If there's an issue and we don't want to think about it overnight, we, if we could take care of it before we leave the work site, it's the reason why us as, as chapter leaders are working very long hours uh, to include even working on, you know, we work on our own time most of the time. Uh, so we put in more mm-hmm. than 40 hours of work week. Mm-hmm. Patricia? Um, Alan, as an officer, I can tell you that the 15 years that I have been, um, you know, in the service, it is a very stressful job, not just mentally, but physically. So, you know, I'd like to thank that, you know, your your member that submitted that question, because I don't think we get asked that question at all. But being an officer is extremely stressful, Alan, and it, it, it's hard on our bodies to um, you know, because we have to be on our toes all the time. We have to be on point all the time as we process thousands and thousands of people, you know, and make sure that we're not letting the wrong person in or that, you know, we're, ca- we're catching as much contraband as possible. That, you know, outbound people exiting the country that we're catching that illicit currency, um, guns, ammunition, and on top of that, you know, um, the trade that must that we have to process, you know, and within that trade, we see a lot of narcotics as well. So we have to make sure that we are processing uh, legitimate uh, travel and also on top of that catching, um, you know, um, illicit drugs and money and guns and ammunition and uh, even uh, illegal uh, immigration through uh, fake documents, through imposters. So we always have to be on our toes because, um, you know, God forbid we let the wrong person in um, that could cause harm. So we constantly are, are on our toes. And I could tell you that as a southern border, you know, we pull very, very long shifts sometimes. And it is so difficult on your body. But you know, I think for, and I, I think we all feel that, you know, we, we do it because of the oath that we took, of course, because we care about our country. And even the agriculture specialist that we work side to side, you should see how how many seizures they have in, 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 in they protect, you know, um, our agricultural side where, you know, we have a lot of pests, a lot of diseases within these plants and fruits and vegetables that could devastate our agriculture um, economy. And, you know, Ellen, just to give you an idea of U.S. Customs, we are the second most producing, revenue producing agency for the gun, uh, government, second to the IRS. Uh, on top of, you know, we catch more hard narcotics than any other agency. So um, so it is very stressful. It is very stressful. But, you know, we do our job with pride, you know, because we all we all are, take our oath very serious. Well, you do. Great job. John, can you share with us your thoughts on the stress that you experience on a daily basis and how you deal with it? Well, as an officer, uh, the stress level was always high. You're always out on the line. You're always on your toes waiting for the next uh, scenario to come up. And to me, the the biggest help was a a good support system at home. Uh, If you have a good support system, it'll help you through anything, I think. And not not only at home, but also at work. Um, Myself and my fellow officers, we would always support each other not only at work, but off duty. So I, I think 
our coming together as a community within the law enforcement ranks and then the support system at home, that's what you need in order to survive the stress. As we bring this conversation, which I want to thank you guys for the job that you do, but also for taking time and sharing your insights with our audience. Uh, thank you for carving out some time for us. If you can make any sort of statement to our 4 million members, what would that be? Patricia, what would you like? Uh, well, one, you know, thank you. For, I, I'd like to thank them for their support in securing our, our border, you know, because we need all the support that, that we, we can, Alan. You know, um, what you see on the news about how we treat people, how, you know, what, what supposedly what we, how we treat migrants, that is all false, Alan. Uh, we, we treat everybody humanely. You know, we treat everyone um, as, as, as good as possible. Um, you know, but, you know, we're short staffed, um, you know, we, you know, we, we, we deal with a lot of, of stress again, I go back to the same thing, but, um, you know, we just need to, um, have their support, um, you know, to continue to have their support and hopefully they can reach out to their representatives where they live and advocate for more border security, because there's still so many things that need to be done. Um, you know, to to support um, um, our jobs, because I could sit here all day and tell you guys of all the things that needs that we need in order to secure our border even more. But I will say that, you know, the president is right on about what he's saying about immigration. So regardless of how you feel about him, um, when it comes to border security, he is he's right on the money on what he's saying. You know, I have seen uh, polling that shows that Americans overwhelmingly are in favor of immigration, mm -hmm. but they want it to be legal. They, there should be a process, a fair process, that people can come into the country. That illegal immigration brings all sorts of folks that, frankly, you don't want in your country. Mm -hmm. John, if you have an opportunity, which you do, to uh, make a statement that you would like our membership to hear, and we'll go beyond our membership with this. We will promote this session um, beyond our four million. Uh, what is it that you would like uh, them to hear? What I would like them to hear is that on their, on their borders, at their ports of entry, you have some of the finest men and women that I've ever had the uh, honor of serving with. Um, we, we try to do our job the best that we can, given our limitations, not only by the laws, but also by our agency. Um, and we do it as professionally as, as possible. Uh, please don't believe the hype that you hear when, when you hear about the bad eggs. I'm sure that there are some. But that is the exception, not the rule. Mm -hmm. uh, what we do, we do with much pride. Well, you do a great job. Uh, Vincent, do you have a parting message? Ah, yes. What number one, as Mr. Kramer mentioned as well, thank you for the 
for, for being a listener and a viewer with Mr. Alan Roth here, uh, allowing us the opportunity to speak and supporting the frontline officers at the, at the ports of entry across the border, the frontline uh, individuals. Uh, as John mentioned as well, we got, we got a lot of damn uh, fine, well, uh, men and women that work out of the ports of entry and that, that we represent as chapter leaders. Uh, a message to you, though, as the, as the listeners, um, if you don't have to go leaving across the border, stay home. I mean, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to be crossing the borders internationally. We want to, strive, we want to try to advocate for that as, as much as we can. We're, we're communicating with our members of Congress on this one, uh, and we encourage you to do so as well. We've got to stop this pandemic from spreading further, as we have already started to see it on the front lines, at our, at our ports of entry, at, at other work sites. Anywhere you go, I mean, they've got the, the guidance that's out there. Some states are in the stay home. Uh, California, which is where I'm at, uh, has the stay home order going in effect. Different counties have uh, different provisions. In the county that I live in right now, it's, it's basically that stay home unless you need to go get groceries. Uh, or obviously, if you're one of the essential employees and you need to go to the work site, then, you know, that's what our order is. Uh, us as the frontline members, we, we uh, thank you for uh, your, your support. We hope that when you do see us, you thank us in person. Um, but thank you. Please, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, let me tell you that uh, something that we all know living in a free society, that information, especially with so many people locked down, information is something that Americans are bombarded with every single day. And we invited you here because your side of the story really gets heard in a lot of places, especially um, uh, I am currently locked down in New York. And let me tell you, the media there is not, is not very friendly, not only to you, but uh, the only guy who beat you is uh, Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> he did the greatest thing on earth, and mm -hmm. they will beat the Bojangles out of him. I have an open invitation that I want to give you folks. And that invitation is that if you want to come back and talk to us, we will give you a platform to talk to millions of people. And also beyond that, we on a daily basis educate people that you frontline patriots are just that. I'm not, I'm not going overboard here with my language. I'm pretty careful with my language. You, Patricia, said it a few times that we're doing this for our country and know all you guys are. And we also are here for our country. And um, this whole organization, frankly, is a volunteer organization, but we serve a need. I don't get paid by Secure America now. But yet I have certain talents and marketing etc., that I give to Secure America now, and there are hundreds of other people who do so as well. And we see you folks as our first line of defense, whether it's disease, whether it's violent gangs that have done some horrendous things in New York as well as California. 
um, murders of young girls. I mean, it's just horrible. And we have mm -hmm. to stop that. But it starts with you folks. So once again, I want to thank you for what you do every single day. While we're locked down, you guys are out there doing your job. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And secondly, want to thank you for giving the time for, I know Patricia was the one who uh, was the recruiter. <laughs> it wasn't too painful here, but um, in terms of speaking with us, but uh, continue to do what you do. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.